Welcome to the Quilter Circle Podcast. From piecing to quilting and everything in between, this podcast brings you tips and techniques from the experts and fun stories from quilters just like you. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Quilter Circle Podcast. I'm Ashley Huff, and today our special guest is Bernie Tobish. While general maintenance will usually keep your sewing machine up and running for many, many years, there are times when you have to take your machine in to be serviced. So whether it is that general maintenance or a big fix, Bernie Tobish has pretty much seen it all. So he's here today to share some fun stories about things he has seen in the sewing machine repair business, issues he has fixed, tips on how to keep your machine running, and how to make sure that you can avoid some costly repairs in the future by just maintaining your machine. Thanks for having me, Ashley. It's a pleasure. Of course. Well, so can we start off by having you tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, well, um... I have been a sewing machine tech for uh, about 44 years now, and I started uh, I started with Singer many many years ago, and uh, started on their repair bench. Uh, ended up also in sales, and then uh, started uh, my own business with uh, Bernina dealerships, and uh, did all the repairs for those shops, and mm-hmm. have had a really enjoyable career it's been lots of fun perfect well so how did you first get into it did you just decide one day i want to fix sewing machines or how did that come about yeah i I used to manage a bookstore and i got transferred to edmonton alberta and that bookstore was right next door to a singer store and i became friends with the manager there and one day um, i needed a job and He offered me a job there and it turned out to be exactly the right kind of thing for me because as a kid, I always, you know, took things apart and, and, and luckily was able to put them back together. So that combination of uh, technical and enjoying talking to people just ended up being really good for me. It was the perfect career that, that, and having grown up with three sisters, you know, that, that also helped quite a bit. Perfect. So I was just going to ask, so you learned to maybe fix a sewing machine before actually sewing on a sewing machine? No doubt about it. I they they started me on the repair bench. Uh, I knew I knew very little. Uh, interesting, actually, or I find it interesting. You might not, but the very first day I was there, uh, the very first thing they taught me was how to make a buttonhole. On this, still remember the model. It was a Singer Model Seven Seven Four. And this couple, about an hour later, came in from the farm, and the lady said to me. Um, I'm looking for a machine that does an easy buttonhole. It's the only thing I knew how to do. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and, and I sold him the machine. It was it was quite. They all looked at me like, "Oh, he sold a he sold a kind of a top line machine the first day." Uh-huh. Now that doesn't mean I was a good salesperson because I wasn't. I nearly lost the job because of my um, uh, non ability to sell at that point. But I really, really enjoyed the technical end of it. Well, that's good. Well, it's almost like it was meant to be that that happened like the first day. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of. Uh, Kind of fun. Well, perfect. Yeah, I got to run home and say, hey, I sold a machine. <laughs> um, so once you started working there, so did your sisters and your mom maybe sew and stuff too? My mother sewed, yep. Mm-hmm. She had an old, uh, this would be a Canadian brand. It was a Baycrest machine. It weighed about three tons. <laughs> and one of the old uh, uh, Japanese, uh, I guess today that would be called, uh, what, what do they call those? Vintage yeah. sewing machine. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, she she did some sewing. She made a few clothes. Uh, not a not a big sewer, but mm-hmm. and and at the time, you know, I mean, I wasn't really interested in the sewing machine. I was taking apart radios and TVs and watches and that kind of stuff. Yeah. 
Perfect. Well, so from when you started to where you're at now, how many machines do you think you have repaired? I did a sort of a weird calculation on it, and it's somewhere between 50 and 60,000. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and that's obviously any brand, right? So you started out with at the Singer shop, but you can repair pretty much any brand of machine? Yeah, well, Singer took in repairs of all, or, you know, machines of all brands. And mm-hmm. so uh, right from day one, I was learning other brands. Uh, and so that was really interesting for me because, uh, you know, just more variety and, and just more interesting. Yeah. Well, so what is like one of the main, uh, if, I don't know if this is the right way to say it, main difference uh, between brands or if there are certain things that you can look at a machine and go, oh, without having it labeled at all oh, that's definitely this brand or that's definitely this other brand. Is there things like that? Yeah, yeah. Companies do things in their own way. Uh, companies will have, it's getting a little more homogenized now, but it, they used to used to be able to just look at a sewing system and say, well, you know, that's a FAF or that's a mm-hmm. Genome, Bernina, that type of thing. Um, now that um, a lot of time has passed, patents expire, they've become a little bit more homogenized, but still um how do i put this you you can still tell that this company does this thing a certain way and this company right. does that thing but I, I just just yesterday i was working on a machine i mean you could just if you put that machine next to another company's machine you could see they came out of the same factory oh really oh yeah but just a different just a different brand name on it but you know companies um uh, in particular, in the past, used to have their own machines that they manufactured, and then they would have a, another end of their line, usually the lower end of their line, that they farmed out to somebody. Right. And, uh, those farmed out machines or those lower end machines, I mean, it was pretty easy to tell, no matter what the brand name was, that it, you know they came out of the same factory. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so overall, what is the most common repair that you have to do? Oh, the most common repair. That's a that's an interesting question. I've, after all these years, I've never really thought about that. The most common, let's say the most common issue, okay, not yeah. necessarily repair. Okay. Because the, I have to say that probably 80% of what I do is routine. It, it is just maintenance of machines. But the most common issue that people run across is the T word, the big T word, tension. I, right. I'm having problems. And nine times out of ten, it isn't the tension. It's it's something else completely different. Because tension mm-hmm. itself is really, really simple mechanism that almost never goes wrong. So it's finding out on that particular machine or with that particular customer what's the real issue here. It's not it's not really tension, and that I find I deal with almost daily. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. What would be you said it can be pretty much something other than tension issues most of the time. So what is it generally? Often it is incorrect threading. Sometimes it is uh, maybe damage to the hook mechanism that grabs the top thread and pulls it around the bobbin to form a knot. Sometimes it's damaged to the bobbin case. Sometimes it's a a damaged or incorrectly inserted needles. many variations of why the tension might look off. It it can be something as simple as, you know, the little uh, spool stopper that you put on your thread, on on your spool pin to keep your thread from your spool of thread. 
depending on, yeah, that might be the wrong size. It might have a nick in the edge of it. There, there are just so many things that can uh, look like tension and it just isn't really tension. That is interesting that you say it might be the wrong size because mm. I, okay, I obviously just always use which one came with the specific machine that I'm using, but I was not aware that they could be the wrong size. Yeah, if you look in your uh, accessory kit, you'll probably find uh, up to three sizes depending on the brand of machine you have. So you try to match it to the size of the spool of thread you're working with. That is interesting. You want it to be the same size or a little bit bigger? Maybe just slightly bigger. It all depends okay. on what the edge of the spool looks like. Some some of the spool edges have little ridges on them, and as your thread comes off that spool, it catches on the ridge. So the idea is to have the thread come off uh, very, very evenly without catching on it. So that what, whatever size it, it takes to make that happen. Some of the spools, like for example, uh, do you mind me mentioning a brand name? No, go for it. For so something like Orofil, which has what, 1,300 yards of thread on it, you could use the small thread mm -hmm. uh, stopper because there is no sort of plastic cap on the end of that thread. There's one on the other end, but so the small one's good enough. Everything just reels off of there really nicely. Gotcha. That makes total sense. I just then I now I'm gonna have to go look through that little accessory bag and see how many different sizes there are. I'm not <laughs> sure I ever have done that, but that's pretty cool. Um, so in terms of, you said a lot of things you do are routine, but obviously there are repairs. What has been the hardest repair or has there ever been one that you just couldn't fix? I don't recall one that I just couldn't fix. Boy, the, the hardest repair. Sometimes the hardest repairs. Well, okay, let's, let's take one that I did this week mm -hmm. because it, it was one of the most difficult in terms of access. I had a machine where um, the client hadn't, I, I don't think when I looked at this machine, I don't think had ever oiled it. Mm -hmm. And her, her machine just kind of ground to a halt. Mm -hmm. And then hubby got involved and uh, cranked the hand wheel and broke the main shaft gear, the lower shaft gear below the hook. Oh, okay. So that gear needed to be replaced. And on that particular model, access to that gear was was really bad and i had to slide the whole shaft out and also on that machine the metal used is fairly soft so everywhere a set screw held something to that shaft it left a scar that needed to be polished off and so it was a little a little bit tricky it took me a, a couple maybe two and a half hours to do and mm -hmm. but what's interesting about that is that when they brought the machine in <laughs> they they brought me this box of parts because mm -hmm. <laughs> the gentleman figured, you know, this is, I can do this and, and just kind of tore everything apart. So really oh, it was kind of reassembling things that he had all taken apart. And, and what's really sad is that in this particular case, had the person using the machine every once in a while, put a little drop of oil in the wick in the center of the hook, mm -hmm. it never would have happened. It's just that it had never been oiled, and so the shaft of the hook just got jammed in from lack of lubrication, and then the mm -hmm. forcing of the wheel. So little things, little things like yeah. that. Well, but I, I have I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that you were able to put that sewing machine puzzle back together. Yes, it was it was interesting, and and I was happy I was happy for it because, like I said, about eighty percent of what I do is routine. So it was nice not to 
have something routine and to have to use my head for a little bit. Um, right. I, I just came up with the, you asked me a question about the most difficult repair. Yeah. Uh, a good number of years ago, I had a partner in, when I lived in Victoria on Vancouver Island and uh, we had two locations and this was a, a fellow that hadn't been in the sewing machine industry but wanted to get into something and so we just he was my neighbor and we decided to, to get into something together so we uh, rented some space inside this really well-known fabric shop and, and started selling and, and repairing machines and this place had two locations mm -hmm. so one day i was out in the second location and the delivery guy brought me this i don't know if you're familiar with the faf 1222 beautiful machine older older sewing machine mm -hmm. and literally when i say box of parts john had taken apart this machine to the level of even separating the casting in the middle and all the linkages and there are a pile of linkages in this machine and uh it took me two days with the why have you taken it. it apart well I, I guess he was exploring and good on him <laughs> you know <laughs> Because you never know if you can put it back together until you take it apart. Yeah, I, I suppose. But it was, uh, again, it was one of those interesting jobs that I was happy to do because every time you do one of those, you learn something. So it was yeah, great. Yeah, that's cool. So have you ever, um, has there ever been a case where, I, I'm just, I don't have a whole lot of knowledge in, in repairing things. I was never one to take things apart, to put them back together. But my husband mm -hmm. talks about it sometimes in terms of cars, like working on cars, right? And back... Yep when he was younger, you know, cars were not so computerized. So that's kind of where I'm going with the sewing machines. Do you find that they are harder to fix nowadays that some of them have, you know, essentially an iPad built in? Uh, no, you know, I kind of find the, the opposite. And, and let me explain that more carefully. Mm -hmm. When computerized sewing machines came out, what the computerization replaced was uh, cam stacks and followers for those cam stacks. So a cam stack would move your needle to the right mm -hmm. position for that stitch. And, and some of them where there was forward and reverse motion involved, moved your feed dogs to the right spot as well. So what computerization did is they replaced those mechanisms with what's called a stepping motor. And then mm -hmm. the main circuit board of that just sent voltage to each stepping motor to tell it where to be at any given point of that stitch. So it removed some moving parts initially so they were actually very very easy to work on and i and i uh, really embraced the technology because it was did make the machine somewhat easier to work on now having said that today's computerized machines because now there's a lot more features there's uh cutting mechanisms and automatic threaders and, and just so many things that now the number of linkages has again increased the number of stepping motors has increased but ultimately if there's an issue, uh, board replacement isn't that difficult, you know, if, uh, and that's those boards just actually control the movements of the needle and the movements of the feed dogs and maybe the movement of a threader, that type of thing, movement of a cutter. So it's those linkages from the electronics to the mechanical portion. But uh, sometimes I hear people say, well, you know, the, the electronic sewing machines or computerized sewing machines are more fussy with tensions and that kind of thing. Well, mm -hmm. the, the part that controls your stitching, the part that uh, forms your stitch and the feed dogs that move your fabric, all of that is still mechanical. So um, so the, that's not really true. They're not more fussy in that way. And then people say, well, they won't last as long. But, you know, I, I work on many, many 25, 30-year-old computerized machines that are still going strong. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Well, and, and back to your, your other story about, um, the husband trying to fix the machine, it does come down to how you take care of it and whether it will continue to run for that long. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I, I know people that, uh, have one speed, uh, it's thread the machine, put the foot to the floor, never oil it mm-hmm. and run it into the ground. And then, you know, then there's people that are thoughtful about it and, and, there are things they can do themselves and they do the, they lubricate the appropriate spots, keep the machines clean and they last a long, long time. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. They last well, longer so you, than any other appliance. You know? Yeah, probably. That's probably true. Um, you've mentioned oil a couple of times, but not all machines require oil, correct? Uh, well, you know, they actually do require oil, but okay. there's really not much the end user can do in, in terms okay. of that. So when a, when a person takes their machine to the shop and the technician takes the covers off, then the tech has access to those places that will require some lubrication. Um, sure. A lot of machines use uh, what are called sintered metals. And so they have sort of a, uh, they're impregnated with oil, the, the, the metals are. And so they require less lubrication, but ultimately they still, they still do require lubrication. It's just that the, the design of the machines today make it less possible for the end user to get inside the machine. And that, that's, that's a, probably really for another, the best. I, I believe it is for the best because, you know, there's, there's electronics in there and one, one little uh, short circuit, you know, can cause you some issues. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, have you ever, I'm just thinking back to um, how me maintaining my machines and I will clean it after every project. Um, sometimes in the middle of a project, if it starts, to me, for me, I go off of sound sometimes. If it starts to sound funny, I know it's got lint somewhere there. You need to be brushed off. But so I remember cleaning my mom's machine for her years and years ago, and she had never taken certain things apart. And there was like yeah. 40 years of stuff in a machine. Have you ever run across that? All the time. <laughs> <laughs> what have you found in there? <laughs> uh, well, um, well, one just a, a story about that. I had a lady bring me... Now, do you mind if I mention brand names? Uh, no, not at all. I'm not being detrimental to the brand. I'm just no, mentioning no. it. In this case, it might be relevant. She brought me a, one of those great old uh, Viking, Husqvarna Viking machines. Uh-huh. Uh, probably now that machine would be 40 years old or something. And she had never cleaned it. And down in around the hook area, she had collected so much lint that mm-hmm. it created this whole felt kind of a cocoon around that whole area. Uh-huh. So I had to literally pick it out with, with uh, tweezers and, and little hooks to, to grab the stuff out. And when she got the machine back, she called me and she said, my machine's noisier now. <laughs> it was like <laughs> padding it, insulating it, it a little bit? Yes, it was sound deadening material that was in there. So, you know, I yeah, guess in some, in some regards beneficial, but in others not because that stuff uh, wicks away any lubrication that's down there. Right, right. Well, and in this case, when I was helping my mom clean out hers, it was lint and stuff, but it was also, um, you know, if you broke the tip off of a needle some at some point, or there was a pin or two that were down in there that just was underneath everything, not really, I guess, affecting it that much, but yeah, it was like a treasure hunt in there. Sure, for sure. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, I find all kinds of, you know, bent pins that maybe got caught in the mechanism and then fell through, and uh, like you say, lint. Um, sometimes I don't know how this happens. I find things that don't belong. <laughs> that okay. didn't come from, they didn't come from the machine. Uh, I remember once we, uh, my wife and I used to go into the schools 
and service machines and uh, mm -hmm. you found in, in one machine, if you took your biggest coffee mug, there was mm -hmm. that many pins inside the machine. So <laughs> I guess I tried to sabotage it or something and I took literally a mug full of oh my pins out of the inside of that machine. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then other things too, you said stuff that like doesn't belong. Yeah. Sometimes there'd be a screw or something and I, it just doesn't Super belong weird. there. <laughs> I don't know how it got there yet. And, it, you know, that can be disconcerting because you think oh, something's missing or the, or the client thinks something's, something's awry here. But, you know, probably, I don't know, maybe somebody was doing some work around there. Who, yeah. who knows how it got there? But huh, That is funny. Sometimes they just, as, as a matter of fact, we used to do this, this trick once in a while to when we go to technical trainings, you go mm -hmm. for lunch. You know, we all have a pile of stuff because we have a machine taken apart and you toss an extra extra screw in some guy's pile. <laughs> <laughs> that was always fun. Oh, that's funny. That's like repair humor, but I love it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Well, so um, kind of stepping back a little bit, how do you sew or quilt now? You know, I do not. That's definitely not my area of uh, interest. Mm -hmm. What I... I have an interest in making the machine perform whatever task the the soloist is trying to accomplish. Uh, when Shelly and I teach, we teach together. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes class is uh, my class and she's, you know, sort of the assistant. And then sometimes the class is her class. So let's say she's teaching uh, a precision piecing class, for example. Mm -hmm. So my part of that class is the first part where I will show people or we'll, uh, let me rephrase that, we will go over the individual machines in the classroom. So let's say we have 10 people in the class, we might have um, 10 different models of machine that are all different. So my task is to make sure those machines are not holding the quilter back from getting that accurate piecing. So for example, if the needle position isn't centered properly, if the foot's set a slight angle, if the pressure's set too high, there there could be any number of reasons mm -hmm. where the that person's being held back from success. So that would be uh, my part of that. So in terms of sewing, that's as close as I would get. Um, but whatever the technique, uh, if we do a top stitchers club and Shelly's teaching a bag and they're they're trying to insert a zipper or they're doing pin tucking or they're so all of those techniques are really really familiar to me mm -hmm. and how to set up the machine to succeed with it is really familiar to me but I've never put a bag together but does that make sense it does make sense I just I just didn't know if eventually being around all of these sewing machines and quilting machines was going to rub off on you in terms of you wanting to start using them oh uh, yeah no uh that's definitely not my area of interest I I can appreciate the uh Artistry. I mean, I've run into some really, really exceptionally talented uh, sewists, be they quilters or, or garment sewers or whatever they are. There, I've run into extremely talented ones, and that's I can appreciate what they do and, and uh, appreciate the art, for example, in, in quilting. But it, it's not my thing. Mm -hmm. My thing is the machine. That makes sense. Well, so now, do you work on any and all kind of machines? So anything from a basic sewing machine to say a long arm quilting machine, a serger, things like that? Yep. Yeah, all of those kind of machines. I've also done a lot of industrial machinery. I, I've worked on 200 needle quilting, mattress quilting machines that, you know, mm -hmm. basically quilt mattress tops. Um, I still am involved with a, a company on the coast that does um, ribbons uh, and awards, mm -hmm. for example, 
for, for quilt shows where the, the, the winner will get a, a rosette that's all that pleated ribbon. So mm -hmm. I work on the machines that do that pleat, that pleating. Okay. You know, that's yeah. sort of specialized. And I really enjoy that. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, so you obviously um, have a physical location. And I know you, you travel sometimes too when people bring machines to wherever you are in a physical location, but then you also have some books too, right? And other ways that people can learn about machine maintenance and fixing their machines and things like that. Yeah. Uh, what we do is we, we will teach in a, in a location. We no longer have a location of our own. Mm -hmm. We moved, uh, April a year ago. And, uh, because our, our classroom was in our home, we had a, uh, about a 2200 square foot log home that we, leased on a property mm -hmm. and that had a really nice classroom in it so you know people would come in there and um we'd, we'd do the class or i'd do the repair but we kind of got to the point where we didn't want our home to be our workplace anymore and then with all the traveling uh with the books shelly uh, and i uh released books at the same time we, we got our contracts from cnt at the same time for the first books mm -hmm. and um with that came some traveling and we, we ended up developing a product line and with that came a lot of traveling. So we decided that we, we needed to be more centrally located. We were out on the far west coast of the country. Mm -hmm. So uh, April a year ago, we moved to Saskatoon, which is where I grew up, mm -hmm. so that we could take a few of the miles off when we were traveling. And, and that worked out really well. Um, we got here, we moved here April 1st. And between April 1st and December 6th, we were home about 30 days. Oh, wow. We did a lot of, yeah, a lot of driving last year. And then, of course, with this whole uh, COVID mm -hmm. shutdown, um, everything kind of stopped. And it's been, in some ways, a real godsend because we realized how hard we were driving ourselves. Yeah. And it's been kind of nice to reconnect with home and, and, you know. Good, yeah. Check out where we live. Perfect. In terms of a location, um, we no longer have a location, but we're, we do work here for, there's a local quilt store that's really great. And I do repairs for her. Mm -hmm. We teach classes for her and we do the, like I was saying earlier, like the, uh, up in the Yukon and, uh, you know, sort of Western Canada idea. Yeah. We are actually booked, uh, for the Ohio, um, Amish quilt festival, but I, I'm pretty certain that's not going to happen because I think the border isn't even going to be open. Oh yeah. And that happens. Yeah. Well, so what are um, what is your book and what is your your wife's wife's book too? Uh, her book is called Easy Precision Piecing, mm -hmm. and uh, she's a bit of a uh, perfectionist, mm -hmm. or that's probably not the right word. She loves detail. Yeah, yeah. And so she she is always whenever she creates a quilt, it's very accurate. You know, all the corners meet, the the points meet, that type of thing, and that's really where the product line from and that we developed this for her so she could have better success and then with our classes uh, it kind of took off our we had this uh, what we called a top stitchers club with about 100 ladies in it mm -hmm. and when they saw what she was doing they were interested in trying it out themselves and they all really loved it so then that kind of turned into a into a product line mm -hmm. so we travel for that and my my book was or is called um, you and your sewing machine mm -hmm. that's the first that was first book and that was that's basically a that's the class that we do that we, that we call build a better relationship with your sewing machine and so all the information from that class is in that book as well as a troubleshooting guide mm -hmm. so the new book the reference tool is no new information as a matter of fact less general information but what 
what CNT has done is they've reorganized this into a much easier to uh, access troubleshooting guide. Mm -hmm. So if you have an issue uh, shredding thread, you look up shredding thread and it gives you the possible causes, the page where you'll find a, a solution for that. And they've made it smaller and coil bound. So it's kind of easy to take to classes and retreats, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Well, so is there, Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of a, a common problem and if there would be a different solution depending on the machine or the machine brand or across the board is say, you know, whether your thread is shredding on a Viking or a Foff or a Janome or whatever, usually the cause is the same. Uh, no, there can be, there can be product or let's say sewing system specific solutions. And I did try to cover all of them. Um, for example, shredding thread is one we used. Uh, on some machines, that could be uh, damage to a drop-in bobbin case. Mm -hmm. uh, and not every manufacturer uses that. So I, I did, I tried to cover for the different sewing system what you would look for for that particular issue. Okay. So do you mind me asking you what machine you have? I have several. Currently sitting in front of me, yeah. I have the, the Viking Epic 980Q. Okay. Yeah. I have that machine, but then I also have like the brother that I learned to sew on. I don't even think they make it mm -hmm. anymore, but it's like the SQ9050, I think. Um, so I'm just trying to envision like a problem I'd have on the Viking machine being the same or different with the brother machine. Mm. Well, on the, on the uh, let's say the, the plastic drop-in bobbin case. Mm -hmm. Sometimes on a on a system like that, thread gets caught and that bobbin case spins around and a needle can can nick it. And so you'd want to take some uh, very fine 400 weight uh, wet and dry sandpaper and take that nick off because as the th top thread goes across that, it catches. So that can shred your thread. It can leave little loops. It can give inconsistent tensions. So for that that style of machine and that would be your your viking machine mm -hmm. that's what you would look for on another sewing system maybe where they had the the uh, vertical removable bobbin case mm -hmm. like on a let's say a bernina machine or some faf machine some of the older faf machines um, you might look in a different area. The bottom case isn't likely to be the culprit. It could be the tip of the hook itself. So yeah, I, and, and I try to cover those uh, with pictures so that people can see kind of, they, I, I don't mention brands, but mm -hmm. I show pictures of the different sewing systems so people can match up that picture with what they're using. That makes sense. Good. That, and that's where I was going with the, the question was whether or not this reference guide was usable for any and all brands and types of machines. Yes, absolutely. Perfect. Absolutely. Perfect. Speaking of, okay, so you're saying it could be a little nick on something. How would you, how do you find that? How do you, you know, do you have like a checklist of, okay, I'm going to start here. And if this isn't the cause, then I move to this and then I move to this. Or how do you, how do you find yeah. the actual cause? Are you, are you now saying for me when I'm looking at a machine yeah. or are I, you saying it was a, yeah, for me when I'm looking at a machine, there's a there's a checklist that I go through. Mm -hmm. um, it's really quick because I'm so used to seeing so many machines that it, it, it you know check this first, this next, this next, this next right. because there's sort of a most likely, second most likely, next likely kind of a thing. Yeah. Absolutely, there's a there's a there's an order for sure. Okay, and then reverse that, and now as me as a not a professional, would would I have the same sort of thing, or what should I be looking for first? knowing that I, I don't have the level of fixing capability that you do. 
Yeah, so if, if let's say you had a copy of the sewing machine reference tool, mm-hmm. um, you would find your problem and listed you would find all the possible causes that I could think of when I was writing it. Mm-hmm. And then where the solution might be. So if there if I if I gave a cause, I also gave a, a solution to that. So you would and it, you know it would take you to different pages in the book to so that you can see a picture of what your sewing system looks like and and where your how you would sort that out for your particular sewing system. Gotcha. Gotcha. That makes sense. Um has there ever been again I'm going to have to use a car reference which is really weird for me but like in terms of when I had a an older car, it got to the point where the, the the repair on the car was going to cost more than my car was worth. So we traded it in. Is there the same sort of thing with machines? Will you ever get to a point where someone brings it in and you tell them what the repair is and it's just going to be more than the machine is worth at that point? Absolutely. That the one that I just did with the gear where mm-hmm. where that person had never maintained the machine this the last just this last week, mm-hmm. the repair was worth more than the machine. But sewing machines are a little different in that uh, sewists have a sentimental attachment. They have a relationship with their sewing machine. Sometimes, and I can understand it, they would rather spend more than the machine's really worth on the market to continue to have that comfort level and that that relationship that they've established with that sewing machine. And I totally, totally understand that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's always hard to sort of relearn a new machine and you just kind of get used to what the one you use all the time does. So yeah, I could see that. But um, sort of a fun question here because when you mentioned that when you guys are at training camps and you would leave like an an extra screw somewhere to see if they could figure it out. Um, So if someone were to say, dump a pile of parts or bring you a box, would you be able to tell what it goes to? I think so. Yeah. 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 I have a, I, I have a one, um, I guess you call it a skill or, or luck of, of genetics or something. And that I have a really, really good memory. Good. And if you were to say to me, I have a, oh, I don't know, let's say a singer 718, which is a old, old, old machine. And you could name the, you could name the machine. I could probably in most cases in my head, in 3D, imagine what where the screws are, what the machine looks like, how to thread it, um, and that's has stuck with me over the years. And I've been I've been totally blessed with that, whatever that is. Uh, like I said, genetically, I, I'm, it's made my <clears throat> excuse me, it's made my job so much easier to be able to do that. Oh yeah, I can. Imagine. So yes, I could probably I could probably take a box of parts and tell you. What about something like, because this is a question that we get a lot of times that come into our customer service department for a National Culture Circle, and I get this question a lot, and I can't always answer them, but people will send in pictures of presser feet and say, what does this do and what does it go to? And like, I can't look yeah. at a, a foot and know what machine it goes to, but can you? I think for the most part, yeah. I mean, there's going to be maybe really, really, really old ones mm-hmm. or maybe really, really, really new ones that, that just came out. But in general, yeah. I mean, I can look at the foot. Usually yeah, the underside of a foot gives you lots of clues. But yeah, there's uh, we teach um, on that subject. We teach something we call foot camp. And so I'm, I'm quite uh, lucky to have had a chance to be able to use all the different feet. Mm-hmm. So, yep. Okay, so I just, I'm yeah, sitting here next to my machine and I just took the foot off because you said the underside 
give some clues and it doesn't look like there's anything on it. So what kind of clues are we talking about here? Well, let me give you a, a really good example. Often I'll get, uh, again, this goes back to the, it's hardly ever the tension thing, uh -huh. but somebody will say to me, my, I, I cannot get the tension right. The knot is never in the same place twice. Uh -huh. Or my machine is skipping stitches. And they'll bring in the machine and they'll have a foot on there that has an open front to it so that they can see clearly to the needle. Right. And most often those feet also are hollowed out underneath. So they have a, a very distinct channel on the underside of the foot. Mm -hmm. And those feet are designed to be used for applique work in areas where you have a buildup of thread. And that groove on the underside of the foot is meant so that that uh, bead of satin stitching flows through evenly. Mm -hmm. But if it's used for just straight stitching, what happens is as the needle lifts out of the fabric, the needle pulls the fabric up with it because there's that room for the fabric to move up and down. It's called flagging. Uh -huh. And what can happen there is, of course, the knot is trying to find the center of the fabric, which now is a moving target. Gotcha. So... Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, in your in your collection of feet, you'll have one of those open applique feet, and if you look at the underside of it, you'll see it's got that hollow. So I just one example. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just looking at them, um, and even I have ones that are the feet themselves look exactly the same, but when you flip them over, yes, one has the hollowed outside and one does not. They'll give you two different results. Yeah. So okay. So just to. Reconfirm. So if it has the hollowed out one, that's for the applique or something like that. But just a straight stitch, I should be using the one that doesn't have the hollow out? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. General piece. And you'd use, a, let's say, a quarter yeah. inch foot that has its flat on the underside and your fabric doesn't move up and down. Now, those that, the one that's meant for applique, that, that open-toed one, um, well, there, how you would overcome that uh, or help to overcome the issue of the fabric. Uh, moving is the stabilizer that you use for applique, right? That that keeps the fabric more stable. But that that little bit of a hollow, and you can test this for yourself. If you put a foot like that on you, and you start to sew, and then you turn your hand wheel by hand towards you, watch as the needle lifts. You'll see your fabric actually lifting with the needle. Gotcha. It turns out I need to change the foot that's on my machine right now for my current project. But that is I. That is so cool. It's just. I mean, here, we, we haven't even been talking that long, and I've learned like seven things already. So I, I cannot even imagine how many things um, I need to read your reference book and your other book. And then I feel like I could use my machine more efficiently in all of the aspects of it a little bit more efficiently, too. Well, that class that we do, that build a better relationship with your sewing machine, is to me the most rewarding class that I, that I do because it, I watch people's eyes kind of that moment where they go, ah. Yeah, I just had that moment. <laughs> That's why I'm having, <laughs> exactly. yeah. that's such a great moment for yeah. me, you know. Yeah. That is so cool. Well, perfect. Well, I want to thank you so much for, for chatting with me and, and sharing some, some tips on things that, you know, can go wrong with machines, uh, stressing that we all need to take care of our machines, um, and just some fun stories about some repair. So thank you so much. Thanks, Ashley. It's been real fun. 